This episode is dedicated to the memory of Kirsten Halfkenny. Good evening, everyone. Tonight we have a special episode. It is the 100th episode of Necromaniacs. And of course, for this 100th episode, Mike Skindato, my illustrious co-host, is joining us this evening. How are you doing, Mike? I am well. Hello, everybody. It is episode 100. Never thought we'd make it this far, but alas, here we are, folks. And uh, yeah, it's pretty cool to hit the 100 mark. We are triple digits, Mr. Hill. Yeah, it's crazy to think that uh, it took us this long to get to 100 episodes. <laughs> but yeah, that's cool. You know, I'm happy. Yeah, we can, we can say that. We can look at it that way. But, you know, I don't want to throw a wet blanket over this illustrious 100-episode <laughs> celebration. And uh, yes, we started this episode, this episode, this podcast, way back in on February third, twenty fourteen. That was old Earth, huh, Mike? It really was, man. Um, things were totally different, man, for me and probably for you. You know, yeah, it was uh, a lot of lots changed since then. A lot has changed, to say the least. Things have changed personally. Things have changed with my, like my job. I'm still at the same company, but in a, it was a bit of a bump in the road earlier this year. Um, you know, but yeah, things have changed quite a bit. You know, some presidential changes, some, some socio-political changes, <laughs> some changes in attitude, uh, you know, just to say the very least. But yeah, man. February 3rd, 2014, the birth of the podcast. And of course, listeners, you can go way back and listen to that very first episode. Um, real quick, in that episode alone, we, we used to go real deep. And that was kind of just like a kickoff. But by episode two, we were doing three to four topics per episode, kids. And some episodes were really long. Like, for instance, episode three was about World War Z, the old boy remake, and the Poughkeepsie tapes. <laughs> okay? And then, like, episode four, uh, it was a cool vampire episode. We talked about uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, Dario Argento's Dracula, and then Kiss of the Damned. That's actually a really fun episode. Uh, but, yeah, we, we used to go real long and real heavy, and we kind of tightened it up and cleaned it up over the years. And... Uh, I want to thank all of you cool, awesome listeners for checking us out, the old listeners, the new listeners, the in-betweeners, the part-timers. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for all these years, man. And I appreciate, uh, Mike, you doing this with me. And, uh, you know, mm -hmm. of course, we have to mention Jeff, our, our, our newest member of the team. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I think things are going really well right now. And, yeah, and j just to do another uh, date marker, Jeff joined us. Uh, July 2020, during the pandemic, our first our first weekly episode was episode 38 on July 2nd, 2020. And ever since then, we have been rocking and rolling. And thank you, Jeff, for coming aboard and uh, putting your personal touch and flair into the show. Uh, I appreciate your very dry sense of humor and dry take on things. <laughs> There are things that you hate that Mike and I love. There are things that you hate that I love. But I love you for it, Jeff. Thank you very much, sir. 
Yeah, it's it's crazy to think that we did that much in one episode. And anyone who is uh, who you know a, a newer <laughs> listener, definitely go back and check out some of those old episodes, and and you'll you'll see how you know just the process, I guess, for where we are today. But yeah, we yeah. Would, we would only do like one a month, so that's why we were mm-hmm. trying to do three shows or three uh, three movies. <laughs> so yes, like it was it was funny though. I mean, look. Honestly, aside from the fact that we were, you know, new at doing this, um, podcasting was, you know, quite new in 2014. And there was not really a ton of horror podcasts. There wasn't a lot kind of, you know, going on with this whole medium just yet. So, yeah, go back and check out episodes. You can see the episode descriptions. You know, I know it's a it's a lot of episodes, Uh but you may find that certain, you know, topics are, are more up your alley. Like, for example, episode eight was a winter horror episode. We talked about, uh, you know, a bunch of winter set horrors. We did a heavy metal horrors episode. Uh, we've done several Halloween themed episodes. And we'll have a new one this year for the new film, uh, of course. But uh, those have always been a lot of fun, too. The Halloween episodes, Mike. Definitely, man. And this year, we're going to have the three of us probably having uh, all different opinions about Halloween kills. So. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's funny. The The advanced word on it is kind of growing, and um, it's it's kind of all over the place, but I've kind of taken myself out of reading on any of it, to be honest. I've just read the headlines of all of it. Um, I, I kind of want to go into this one uh, surprised. Um, some interesting news um, – if you have Peacock, like I do, the streaming service Peacock, not the bird uh, Peacock in your home, uh, you will get to see the new Halloween the day it comes out in the comfort of your home. So that's pretty damn pretty awesome. I'm going to try to see this one out in the theaters, though. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it, to me, I almost feel like do the theatrical and then watch it at home for like that second kind of, you know, focused watch. What do you think? I think so, because uh, things change. You know, you watch it on a screen, and then you watch it at home, and they're two different experiences. And um, you know, maybe maybe watch it again on a screen. You might you might get blinded by the extravaganza of this the the mm-hmm. event, you know. And then you watch it at home, and it's like, okay, well, you know, I like this better. Or I don't like this, you know. No, totally. Um, that's. I mean, hey, for y- yourself, for example. You know, you saw some Rob Zombie flicks that, you know, you were, weren't really super into in in the theater setting. And then right. it, you know, as the years passed in the home setting, you're like, I get it. I like it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's definitely uh, there. There are a few of his films I just will never like, though, man. Like, like uh, <laughs> you know, they're just beyond beyond the uh, oh, realm, realm for me, you know. Yeah, 31 is rough and three from hell is pretty rough. But uh you know, we, we can't go an episode without bringing up Mr. Zombie. I'm, I'm anticipating and looking forward to uh, his next film, uh, The Monsters. So stoked on that. Um, but in the tradition of the Necromaniacs podcast, uh, as we do at the beginning of each episode, we like to throw out some plugs. Uh, I want to send a special plug out to break the apocalypse podcast sorry about that little noise there something fell in the background um thank you for your weekly plugs uh you guys have definitely i think helped 
with uh, getting some new ears on the Necro podcast. Thank you so much to John, Shaheen, and Brian. And, of course, to our buddy Brandon Legion. Right, Mike? That's right, man. The Harwolf 666 podcast and blog. Yes. Don't forget the blog. Um, and, yeah, Synthetic 16, my brother's band, is doing a show, free show out in Coney Island on Saturday, October 16th, a free show at the Coney Island Brewery. Um, kind of a post-hardcore band, if you're into that sort of thing. Check them out. Synthetic 16. Uh, they have their stuff on all the streaming services. Uh, I will be in attendance. Mike Hill, not sure if you're going to be there. What's the date again on that? Uh, Saturday, the 16th of October. Okay, I think I can make that. I'm trying to, you know, I, I know I put maybe down on the Facebook uh, invite. So, uh -huh. you know, but I, I got a couple of things I got to work out my my schedule. Gotcha. Now, now, now that, you know, this actually as of last weekend, the next few months, it's almost like a normal life again. You know, mm. I've been, I've been yeah, out in the a lot world. What's going on? Yeah, yeah. I think fun shit happening. Um, but yeah, that's a free outdoor show, so it should be cool. My band just played a show last weekend in Jersey uh, at this Moose Lodge in Jackson, New Jersey, which was pretty cool. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think things are slowly getting getting out there some normalcy mike you know what do you think i think so uh the night that you played i would have been there had i not gone to the dead guy killing music documentary premiere down in philadelphia at underground arts and sure. that was uh it was cool like i was out at night doing something and there were <laughs> you know tons of tons of people there friends you know they of course Philadelphia is similar to New York where you have to show proof of vaccination for entry into these places. Even, even, you know, the, the restaurants I went to and all that, you needed to, you know, produce a card. And, um, mm. you know, some people were masked up, which is fine. And, you know, some people weren't, which is also fine for me. And, um, it was a lot of fun. And then the following day I went to the, uh, decibel metal and beer fest. And that was a incredible, uh, event. Uh, I got to see napalm death and the dead How guy. They were amazing, man. Uh, they did like an old school uh, Utopia Banished uh, um, set, you know, Harmony um, Corruption. Oh, uh, my two favorites. Yeah. Literally yeah. favorite Napalm Death albums. Yeah. And um, and then, you know, Dead Guy had the reunion too, and that was really cool because I, I, they were like one of my favorite bands back in the day. How did they go over at that crowd, Mike? Um, I think, I mean, a lot of people were stoked on them. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I, I was, I was way into it. So it was hard for me to really yeah. pay attention to everyone else. But, uh, you know, they can be a little bit of a hard sell to like a typical metal or hardcore fan for that matter. Correct. Correct. Yep. You know, but for me, I, I gotta be honest with you, man, before they came out for those, those years between 1991 and 95, mm -hmm. I kind of wasn't really into hardcore. You know what I mean? It's like I was checking out other stuff. I was into like the things that were on like AMREP and, you know, mm. noisy stuff, death metal. I was like more into like death metal and that kind of thing. And yeah, um, 91 and 95, I too was deep, deep in death metal and black metal. Um, it's funny because I was in a band that people would consider a hardcore band confusion. We were kind of a death metal hardcore hybrid. And we would play shows with hardcore bands, 
But literally, the only hardcore I was probably listening to on the regular was older stuff and maybe the new Sick of It All or the new Shit Terror. Like, a lot of the bands that I had loved in the late 80s were gone. And that's kind of how I found death metal. So it's interesting that you say that between 91 and 95. That was literally the death metal city for me. Yeah, and, and, you know, I started seeing ads for this band, and I thought the name was really stupid, Dead Guy. Dead Guy. <laughs> but then I heard, I heard it, and I was like, this is like a combination of everything I loved. Like, at the time, like I said, I was into, like, a lot of the bands that were on AMREP, like Today is a Day, and Neurosis, Unsane. Well, Unsane wasn't actually on AMREP, but, uh, you know, that style of noisy shit. And Black, Black Flag. You know, there's a lot of black flag and what Dead Guy does and, you know, Rollins yeah. band and all that. And that kind of brought me back into being involved with hardcore again because the band that I started around that time operated primarily within the, the, the hardcore scene, you know, and, and mm. that was uh, what kind of brought me back into the fold, at least for those uh, mid to late 90s years, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean... It's funny, and then, you know, somewhere in the 95, 96 era, hardcore came back with a vengeance for me and, and, and in general, I think, in America. So it's an interesting time, interesting time frame. And, you know, sometimes being older, like you and I are, we got to experience quite a few different things, right? Absolutely, you know, you know definitely. A different, uh, different take on things and, you know, it, 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 it's it's just amazing the musical the musical journey from not even uh, being a musician just from being a fan was very interesting back then. Yeah, and it was bands like Integrity, you know, Dead Guy and Bloodlet that <laughs> kind of brought me back into being open to listening to music that was within the hardcore scene. You know. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I mean, Integrity too. Like, I think I heard uh, what did I hear first. Uh, the one before humanity is the devil. Uh, well, maybe it was humanity is the devil first. But I didn't hear the old old stuff initially. I think I only heard like a a seven inch from theirs in like '92, and I was like, eh, it's okay. But then by like '94 '95, I heard like more of the meat of their material, and I was like, oh shit, this is great. So, yeah, great band. Yeah, Humanity was the first one that I heard. And I remember I was working at the warehouse at uh, Newberry Comics in Boston, and, and people are like, oh, man, you like you like Satan and like serial killers and Charles Manson, so this, just check this out. And I'm like, all right, yeah, it sounds like something right up. You know, Humanity is the devil, like all the whole four-piece four stuff and process yeah, church. Yeah. It was exactly the kind of shit that I was into at the time. Oh, totally, man. Great, great era. But uh, getting a, a little bit, well, not really off the track because it's going to kind of tie into what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, what have you been listening to or, or reading or checking out since our last podcast, Mike? Well, listening, since uh, I was like getting ready, getting geared up for uh, you know, last weekend's uh, festivities and it kind of carried over into this weekend, this week rather, I um, went deep with Dead Guy, Kiss a Goodbye. And, and Napalm Death. That's what, that's what I've been listening to like all week. Nice. And um, as far as watching goes, I checked out the first episode of Midnight Mass on uh, Netflix, the Mike Flanagan show. Oh, how was it? I haven't. I've not watched it yet. I'm not. I haven't made my mind up yet. I watched the first episode, and uh, 
interesting premise. It's like a little bit of a of a you know a slow burn. It seems like they're they're assembling the characters, and mm. um, the things I like about it is it takes place in, in like an isolated rural location on an island. So um, you know that that's always a good sort of thing. I like that. Um, mm. There's like a heavy like religious thing going on. Like there's like a uh, everyone's very Catholic. And um, so there's like this religious angle, which probably has something to do with some kind of supernatural energy or entities. Um, I'm going to make a prediction. I haven't, I've only watched the first episode. I'm assuming that there's vampires involved in this show. Ah. Yeah. And so, it's called Midnight Mass. Yeah, Midnight Mass. And um, the acting's pretty good. Uh, Katie Segal is in it. And uh, you guys Ooh. might remember her from, you know, the haunting of Hill House and, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. And um, yeah, so but I'm, I'm still not 100 percent in on it yet. You know, what I mean, I'm going to watch a couple more episodes. OK. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, yeah. I checked out uh, the, the first episode of Foundation, the Isaac Asimov, uh, you know, adaptation of the Foundation trilogy. OK. Yeah, that was that's excellent. I was I've been looking forward to that for like a year basically and <laughs> finally after all this time i started i watched the first episode of titans oh so great what'd you think dude what took me so long that's all i gotta say <laughs> yeah dude i mean wow right it is it is really good man it's like the best tv dc thing ever in my opinion I agree. I agree. It's like super gritty. It's dark. You know, the char mm -hmm. characters are very complex. You know, it's cool. Yeah. I enjoy it. But it doesn't, it, okay, it's dark, but it doesn't lose sight of, I think it has a Titans feel. And the Titans, Titans weren't always super dark and gritty, but what happened was in the early 80s, uh, Perez and Wolfman turned them into something real. And yeah. something of its time. And that's kind of what is being done with it right now. Like, I think it has that Perez and Wolfman, like, um, you know, spirit. It really does. Only it's now. You know, it's also very now. Um, so th <laughs> that's why I think it's so good. Yeah, it's it's that team. It's that, I think it's that lineup from the George Perez, Marv Wolfman era. You mm -hmm. know, where you got Starfire and, you know. Now, I'm not sure if Dick Grayson is known as Nightwing or as Robin in this, so I haven't learned that yet. Um, I don't want to say anything. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying anything. Yeah, dude. It's, uh, it's good shit, man. It's, the act, it's the really actor great. that plays him is, does a great job, too. Yes, he's awesome. Uh, you're going to be very pleasantly happy and surprised as it progresses. That's all I'll say. The funny <laughs> thing, though, is that that the kid who plays Dick Grayson's like 28 years old, I think <laughs> like, you yeah, know, he's like a detective and shit, you know, at, in mm. Detroit. And I'm like, huh, I wonder you know, how to, like, you seem a little young to be a detective. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, they play with the ages obviously. And <laughs> I mean, it, it, what are you going to do? You know, <laughs> it makes me think like, uh, somebody brought up Greece the other day on, on, on Facebook. One of my friends, it was like, no, really. Were those the oldest people in the history of recorded film playing teenagers? <laughs> it, could, it could be, man. 
like Stockard Channing looked between 35 and 40 years old. Like he's playing a high school senior. Like really? Like and the and the rest of the guys in that gang really? Seventeen year olds? It was so funny. That's how they used to roll back then in, in movies, you know? I think so, yeah. Jesus Christ. I mean, and people made a big deal out of like the nine oh two one oh, they were all, you know, a lot of them weren't of age, obviously. But Greece literally takes the cake, I think, for, for oldest teenagers in the history of the film. Um for our listeners who don't know what we're talking about, Greece was a very big movie in the late seventies, starring John Travolta and Olivia Newton John. <laughs> I ordered this really cool thing from Severn Films. It's uh, mm-hmm. a Blu-ray box set called "All the Haunts Be Ours: A Compendium of Folk Horror." Yes, I watched the trailer for that, and it was loaded with movies I want to watch. <laughs> it looked really cool. Yeah, it's it's loaded with all kinds of things. It's got twelve Blu-rays. It's got an audio CD, uh, like a hundred twenty-six page book, illustrated wow. book. And uh, one of the things I'm most excited about is there's a reading of the Arthur Ma- uh, Machen story, "The White People," which mm-hmm. is like a classic uh, weird fiction uh, tale from you know Arthur Machen. Okay, yeah, yeah. And it's like set to music and I don't know. I'm I'm really excited about that as equally as much as watching all these films, most of which I haven't seen. I almost bit the bullet on that, but I didn't. I'm I'm, I'm kind of pulling back on the the Blu-rays right now, but um yeah, I would like to literally see every movie in the set. They I the, I literally watched the, the you know, there's a trailer for each of them that's available or at least like a snippets of trailers for each of them and uh, on Severin's YouTube channel. And it was, I was like, holy shit, some of these look fucking great. So hats off to Severin on that. So, I mean, I'm not, it's going to be quite a while before that shows up. So it's like, uh, like the, it's still in the pre-order phases right now. It's not going to ship till like after Thanksgiving. So I got a while before I get it. Cool, cool. Um, I'll talk about what I've been listening to, you know, on the music front, uh, the new carcass torn arteries. I have to say, I like it. A lot of people are like, uh, you know, some of it sounds like fucking swan song, but although it, 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 yes and no, uh, for the most part, it is a solid melodic death metal record with a lot of carcasses, traditional touches on there. I mean, Dude, Jeff Walker's voice is still, like, fucking on point, man. I mean, and he's not a, a you know, a super young dude anymore. He's, he's older than me. Um, voice is awesome. Bill Steer's voice sounds awesome. And to me, Bill Steer is up there. If there's a death metal guitar god trinity, he, it is Chuck. It is him. And it is Trey from Morbid Angel. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, Trey's my favorite, though, honestly. Trey, look, Trey is amazing. But Bill Steer, man, wow. He is fucking awesome. I mean, I've, I've, I'm just a big Carcass fan. Yeah, no, it's cool. I think the new record is solid. It is definitely worth checking out. Uh, hopefully, they get to come here next year. We'll see what happens there. So, yeah, Torn Arteries, solid. Um also checked out, because I, I do this KISS podcast every once in a while, 
with some friends of mine, my friend Pete LaRussa, uh, the I Am Vinyl uh, podcast. Um, I do it with guys that are much bigger Kiss fans than I am, and they like my take on things because I'm not the, like, fanatic, you know, like, I'm more of the every every man fan. But I came across uh, a collection that I was unfamiliar with called Kiss Killers that actually came out in 1982. And it has, you know, it has some of their hits on it. It's got, like, Cold Gin and Love Gun and, you know, uh, God of Thunder Live and Rock and Roll Night. But it had, like, four songs that I'd never heard in my life, actually. Like, four songs from the early 80s that were recorded that were just specific to this release. And they're fucking awesome. <laughs> like, you know? Really? Okay. So like, like, when I get excited, when I hear, like, Elvis songs I've never heard before, which I still do from time to time, because uh, he recorded so much shit, and I'm a big Elvis fan, I've become this weird Kiss fan where I, these like, you know, deep cut songs and these single songs and these kind of weird songs are coming my way. And some of them are just, I was like, whoa, like, why aren't these, why didn't these make the cut for the albums, you know? So Kiss Killers is a really interesting Kiss collection. There's a lot of Kiss sounds in that sentence, Mike. Um, <laughs> what, are you, what are your thoughts on Kiss, Mike Hill? I'm a fan, man. I mean, I'm not a fanatic, but I, I definitely <laughs> like Kiss. And I even like the stuff they did without makeup, too. You know. Yeah, this is literally right before the makeup comes off era, like '82. Uh, um, songs called "I'm a Legend Tonight," "Down on Your Knees," uh, "Nowhere to Run," and "Partners in Crime." Those are four songs specific to this. I never heard them in my life. I'm 48 years old. It's 2021. I never heard these songs before, and I was like, "Whoa!" Some of these are fucking solid. So been been digging on that. And uh, the other oddball, uh, there's the Metallica, uh, the Metallica Blacklist, which is like a shitload of bands who kind of have no business covering Metallica doing songs off the Black Album. But out of the 8 million songs on this, because there's quite a few, there are two tracks that I enjoyed. I enjoyed Off with Keith Morris doing Holier Than Now huh, okay. from uh, the Black Album. And it's it's better than you know metallica's holy than now it's really cool actually um if you're an off circle jerks fan check out them doing metallica's holier than now and then dave gahan from depeche mode doing nothing else matters very cool i could see that being good actually with dave gahan singing that song i could i can visualize yeah. that for sure i the way i visualized it like you know in my head I was like, I have a feeling I know how this is going to go down. And it, it met my expectations and was even better. Because he just has, Dave Gahan is to me one of the, the greatest singers of our time, honestly. Um, and he could definitely belt out a song like Nothing Else Matters. And he does, you know. I saw Depeche Mode a few years ago at the Garden. And they were fucking insanely great, man. They were great. Yep. Their band I've seen four times three at the garden and once at Barclays. And if there's a band, a non-metal, non-punk, non-hardcore band that I think everyone in the world should see once, it's Depeche Mode. Actually, let me revise what I just said. I saw Depeche Mode at Barclay. I didn't see him at the garden. I saw Ooh, the he's okay. Yeah, we might have went the same tour. Yeah, yeah. Probably, yeah. It was, uh, I saw the cure at, at, uh, at the garden. 
unbelievable band live. See, you, you have to see them. Even I, I almost feel like if you're like an on the fence person with that band, and you see them live, you're off the fence. You're you're, you're a fan. <laughs> Great shit. So yeah, that's that's what I've been checking out. Um, as far as watching goes. Um, I meant to watch Elvira's uh, thing on Shutter. I didn't get around to it, but I've just been kind of digging deep on the Joe Bob stuff. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that's that stuff's great. You know, um, it's great at night, week night, just kind of chilling out, and you know, you had like a shitty day at work or a long day at work. Watching the Joe Bob stuff on Shutter is kind of the way to go for me. I got to be honest. Yeah, I used to watch it live on Fridays, man, and and I. <laughs> You know, I mean, his next one's probably coming up soon, or there's at least a Halloween special in the in the tank, I imagine. But uh, I would I would have my whole Friday night like set up around watching that. Uh, I have a beef shutter, um, and I don't know if anyone else agrees with this. The viewing order of the Joe Bob stuff is a hot mess on mm-hmm. that app. You don't know where you're going. What it is very fucked up. Um, and I hate to say this, Shutter. Love you, love you. No, no plans on canceling. Don't get me wrong. But for fuck's sake, fix the Joe Bob stuff or put it put it in a cohesive order. Am I am I wrong? Am I crazy? Well, I think you know you know how like there's other shows on there. If you go to like mm-hmm. like there's that show Core, which I actually thought was pretty good. Yeah. You should just go to that fucking category. It should be, be Joe Bob, you know, the last driving show, right? Boom, you go there. Everything should be there in chronological order. It's, oh, it's, it, the fact that it's not its own hub is insane <laughs> because there is so much. And then when you go to one of them, it's almost like it's not even set up in an episode order. It's like, what is this order? Like, it's, that's my beef. So other than that, I love the content and I love what I'm watching, but I, I would kind of like to go in order of when it came out the year. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, and there is an order, but I don't know it <laughs> because it is not spelled out on the, on the app. It's not. So it's weird. Anyway, real, real quick. I, I should mention this is that, uh, you know, connected with last week's episode, I, my, my Blu-ray of, uh, of the, um, Vision of the Body Snatchers just showed up. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I haven't watched it yet. I've just been, you know, I've been super busy the last few days with work and all this other business. And, uh, mm-hmm. but this, uh, I'll probably check it out, uh, this weekend, you know, probably. Looks like it has a lot of extras on it. It's got tons of stuff on it. Oh, great, great. Then, yeah, I want it then. Awesome. Uh, yeah, we hope you enjoyed that episode, listeners. Uh, it, it was, it was a fun one. Um, but tonight, I mean, in honor of the 100th episode anniversary, we are not discussing a specific movie tonight. We're not discussing, you know, uh, two movies or anything like that. We're kind of just going to talk about, you know, we, we've already discussed the show before, right? Like we've discussed how the show came to be, Mike. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, we've touched on that for sure. We, we, we've touched on that for sure and how we, we, you and I met. We met at my old comic store back in uh, 2006, which is uh, a very long time ago. Um, Seems like yesterday. 
Seems like yesterday, though, yes. Sometimes it sure does. But I think tonight we just kind of wanted to talk about how culturally uh, the, the music and horror connection uh, and the connection for us and, and who knows, maybe it's even the connection for you guys. And, I mean, honestly, Mike and I are, are musicians and that plays a, a role in our, in our life. And then you could say we're film fans, which plays a role in our life as well. But being a horror movie fan and, and into metal and into extreme music, well, it, it goes hand in hand, I think, more often than it does not. Would you agree? That's something I picked up on over the years that maybe wasn't necessarily apparent to me when I first started getting into all this stuff when I was a kid, though. You know, no, it's like, yeah. not at all. I mean... It's funny, uh, two of my biggest horror friends, okay, two of them, like my, one of them's like a mentor, uh, is not a metal guy, he's a punk rock guy, punk, you know, hardcore guy, um, and he's a horror fanatic, and then another one is almost like a, a rockabilly and punk guy, so they're like the outliers, right, in my world. Everyone else I know that is a super horror fanatic is into metal music, Michael. I'm going to challenge that for a second, though. It's like, all right, now, mm. rockabilly dudes, you know, there's that whole horror punk thing, mm -hmm. which I'm not, ironically, I don't really gravitate towards a lot of that stuff, but mm -hmm. a lot of that stuff has, like, some of it has, like, a rockabilly kind of twist to it, though. You know what I mean? Yes, um, and both of these friends of mine are Misfits fanatics as well, and it's funny. I, I could even, I could even contradict myself right now and say that there is an also a direct line in punk to horror with the Misfits, you know, and Sam Hain too. And Sam Hain. Absolutely. 100%. Uh, Glenn Danzig, early punk rocker in the, in the, in the late seventies, was a huge horror movie fanatic since he was a kid. So it, it, it makes sense, you know? Um, and you, you'll find more often than not, uh, you know, the guys in some of the biggest death metal bands, the household name bands, yes, they're all very, very into horror, and particularly Cannibal Corpse. Uh, you know, it, I mean, Mortician. Uh, every single Mortician song is a different horror movie. How about that? And sometimes like the intros to those Mortician songs are longer than the songs. Yes, they are. Um, <laughs> and that's the, the other great thing about, about Will, he, he utilizes samples from horror movies, from like, from, you know, the marquee name horror movies to like more smaller underground shit. I mean, absolutely fucking brilliant in my opinion. And I think they're, they're one of the, the best, of like the horror death metal bands of all time. But then you have bands that, you know, it's, it's a little more kind of subtle, like, you know, uh, Entombed is influenced by horror, but you wouldn't really kind of know it based on the lyrics alone, you know? They famously used uh, the Phantasm theme on their first album, Left Hand Path. And man, I gotta tell you, Mike, when I first heard that, I heard that I think in late, 90 and again i was already a big horror guy i already loved phantasm 
hearing that in that song literally gave me the fucking chills. Like I yeah. freaked out. I went, holy shit. Like this is the coolest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I thought the same thing actually. Yeah. Yeah. But for me, like as far as like the music connection, I, um, Oh, like I think I've told the story before how my earliest memory of going to a movie was going to the drive-in with my parents to see The Exorcist. So my mom was always a huge, is to this day, still a, a fan of, of scary movies, as she says. Mm. And so we, we were always watching horror films in the Hill household out in the suburbs. And uh, nice. You know, we, we would watch, uh, there was like the Channel 9 stuff. There was like Chiller Theater, um, you know, during the afternoons on Saturdays. I know they used to play uh, the Hammer Horror films, you know, mm. and that's that was my early introduction to it. So, mm -hmm. you know, and as a kid, I, I was, I didn't find punk until maybe, I don't know, 14 or something like that. So those early days of my life, I was listening to the rock music, you know, like Led Zeppelin and, you know, and Deep Purple, ACDC was, was like, you know, happening in this country. And then someone played me Black Sabbath, okay? <clears throat> it wasn't the Ozzy era. It was the Ronnie James Dio fronted version of the band, and it was the record Heaven and Hell, which... Oh, wow. Immediately, I was like, this is great. You know, this is awesome. This reminded me of like, you know, like, this is like pretty cool. Like, you know, like, you know, it's got this like heavy guitar sound and singer sounds awesome. And that's what I thought Black Sabbath sounded like. But mm. later that summer, uh, my, my neighbors, their older sister had a boyfriend who, it's a long story, but this dude ended up living with them. And he must have, mm. he must have been like 19 at the time. He had this mm -hmm. massive stereo system, huge record collection, and it was all at their house. And then one day he played We Sold Our Souls for Rock and Roll, opening mm. track, Black Sabbath. <laughs> and I know this song is an important song for you too, man. Yep. And it fit both worlds together so perfectly because the rain, the tolling bell, that incredible gigantic riff in the beginning with that tritone mm. yep and it was like some edgar yeah. Allan poe shit you know what i mean yep and it all it, fit yeah it, it's funny that you literally you bring up that album and that band um that album was my first foray into black sabbath as well me and uh john lamacchia from candaria we were you know, young budding metalheads together, same age, you know, picked up instruments at the same time. And he had that record. Um, and we would play that record in his room or in, in, I think the basement of the house. And it was just like everything, man. It was just something about that record. And like looking at that, that fold out of that gatefold, it just seemed so like, evil <laughs> and yeah like, totally so dark and so new and exciting and mysterious and uh when you're like a young metalhead and everyone in the neighborhood is a guido and, and and you 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 and your friends don't fit in and like it's like a secret club heavy metal you know um 
when you add horror into into the mix, it's it's like an even more cooler special club, right? <laughs> well, yeah. When when I first saw that artwork inside the record, I was like, "You're allowed to do this in music. You can put stuff like that with music." Because like. <laughs> You know, before I was listening to Rush and they had songs about Xanadu and, you know, the Temples of Syrinx and all this stuff and, you know, <laughs> Yes and all that. There was like a fantasy element to all that stuff, you know, like mm -hmm. swords, swords and dungeons and dragons and all that stuff, Led Zeppelin, you know. But no one was talking about Satan and in, they addressed Satan by name in the first Black Sabbath track, that song, yes. Black Sabbath. They say Satan. <laughs> The other cool thing about about their take on Satanism that well was you know lost on me and continually lost on people then and now is that um, it was like a warning of Satan. It was not it was not pro Satan. It was like a hey, don't fuck with this. You know what I'm saying? It was like a like a like a warning. It, it was not uh, it was not pro Satan. You know, and that, was, and that and that fit in in line with your typical horror narratives were at the right. time, you know, where it was like, right. you know, there's like, uh, you know, a, a moral or, you know, there's like evil is, will, will hurt you. You know what I mean? Yes. Don't fuck around with this shit. Right. Honestly, in my head, then and now I picture this wonderful horror short to the lyrics of the song black Sabbath. Right. Yeah. I think you could make a banger, like a, they never made a, a video for the song, really, um, or you know, at least none in, in the sense of like telling a story or like you know dropping loot and doing a mini movie. But to me, if there ever was a, a great song to do it to, it would be that song, you know. Sure. Um, and, and it's funny. Um, I actually like the Eagles. Uh, I know a lot of people hate the Eagles, and I always felt that Hotel California, if you if you put that to a video lyrically that is another song that tells a story about satanism in my opinion that tells a story about the occult more particularly although don henley maintains that it is not what the song is about when in my head when i read the lyrics and i hear the song that is what i visualized and and uh it's just you know something like there's other songs too like i could mention where it's like there's never been a video for, but in my head, like I have the idea of what a video would look like, you know, like a mini film. And that is, uh, Black Sabbath, the song is like ground zero, I feel like, for horror and metal and extreme music. Yeah, I, I clearly, definitely, you know, and even even, you know, I, I found out later that that wasn't I was like, man, this is a double album, man. These guys put out two fucking records. But then I realized it would, you know, I, I discovered later on that it was a greatest hits record, and that yes, <laughs> and then they have their first album, also called Black Sabbath. Right, the song is on that record, <laughs> and that has an equally macabre album cover with a fucking witch and like the scary house and all this shit. You know? Oh, totally, yeah. Like, you know, in the late '60s, videos were not really a thing yet, uh, and wouldn't be for a while. And I feel like there could have been these amazing videos or, or, or you know, shorts with so much of that cool Sabbath stuff. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, that's, that was my kickoff, and it was kind of your kickoff. It's funny. You didn't realize it was the best stuff. Neither did I. I mean, I was so dumb, I think. I didn't even know that Metallica's Garage Days was cover songs. Like, 
I, I mean, I didn't know what cover song, like cover song, that phrase when you're 13 or whatever, or 12, you don't even know what the fuck that means, you know? So yeah, totally. when that came out, that was new Metallica. And I was like, wow, this is really weird. <laughs> and and there, it doesn't help that most of those bands on there for someone who's like 13 years old are pretty obscure, you know, like Killing, oh, no, right. killing that, Joke, Budgie, yeah. you know. I, I forget who, uh, who told me, yeah. These aren't their songs. <laughs> so I had to be told that when I was a kid. I was like, oh, well, that explains a lot. Because, yeah, this doesn't sound like Master of Puppets. Um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, things like Black Sabbath and, and then finding the misfits a few years later planted the seeds for, for the horror music connection for me personally. Um, then, you know... Uh, you know, in, in my kind of full-blown hardcore years, was very into horror and Hellraiser and Clive Barker, but had not even really heard death metal yet until one of my buddies, Johnny Zito, said, okay, you need to hear this band Obituary. And I was like, okay, tell me about Obituary. He goes, they don't even have lyrics. <laughs> it sounds like he's dying and it's, it's, it's crazy. You got to hear it. And, and you know, there's a picture of all them in coffins and there's another picture of them with nooses around their neck. I'm like, Oh shit, I got to hear this. And then, um, I, I finally heard them when I, I blind bought, um, cause of death on yeah. cassette. That, that's a good one to really, blind buy. Uh, yeah. It, it was the week it came out. It came out, I think in September of 90 and I got the tape sometime in September of 90 or the very beginning of October. And man, I was fucking floored. It just, it won me over. Um, and then I, I saw them right around that time too with Sacred Reich at Lamore. And it was just like, holy shit. I get it, man. This is, this is death metal. That's what this is. Okay. I like death metal. I love it. I think it's great. <laughs> Give me more death metal, please. And that's kind of where it began. <laughs> um, and the weird coincidence, man, right around the time I, I got that, that obituary cassette, on my block, I was I was walking home, and I was I guess I was walking in the street for some reason, but not on the sidewalk. And there was this cat that had been run over by a car, and it it was it was just this very eerie scene, you know, to see. I guess when you're 17, you know, like it just it was like death in my face, you know, yeah, like and like it was it horrified me. I lo I loved cats. I didn't have a cat back then, but I loved animals. And I just saw this and it stuck with me and I can still visualize what I saw to this day. And that was right around the time I was getting into obituary and death metal and just something about that. I, I never shook it. Like it was just weird, you know? Um, and then I just kind of devoured death metal, like entombed and death and carcass and, and napalm death. And then I heard God flesh and, morbid angel and it just really kind of spiraled from there and it, it kind of was around the time again when uh with hardcore a lot of the great bands were broken up or had broken up the matinee had stopped at cbgb and there was this kind of shift happening you know i mean and even an alternative music was was beginning and hardcore gangster rap was beginning and there was just so much happening you know and i was kind of absorbing it like a sponge but death metal was my number one priority and, and, and horror movies were, you know, I was 
seeing horror movies in the theater all the time back then and constantly renting horror movies and it just all struck a chord with me mike yeah definitely man and and you know all through high school uh i you know i was getting way into like stephen king and you know well lovecraft i discovered before king because i was i hit i hit all that as a result of reading conan you know like uh robert mm-hmm. e howard was like pen pals with stephen king i mean sorry not with stephen king with uh, lovecraft so i was mm-hmm. like oh i should check this guy out and there was one location in my hometown there was a a, a record store that was literally called the book and record store. <laughs> Isn't that fucking crazy? Yeah. The book and record store. So I, book and record store. I went okay. in there. They had records, tapes. They had a huge fantasy and horror section. You know, then like other stuff. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, and then like calendars and all this other bullshit, you know. And they had Ramones, Motorhead, Iron Maiden, you know, Venom. All that stuff there, mm. as well as, you know, you know, like those Lovecraft volumes that came out in the '80s with like that really sick uh, artwork on it. Yeah, a lot of them had those great covers, and one of them had the cover. I mean, it, it had cause of cause of death, basically, like that painting. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, it's that yeah, artist. Yeah. yeah. So I, I got a bunch of those, and that's you know started building up my imagination and my whole outlook on you know creativity was like connected to like sabbath and lovecraft and stephen king and fucking you know uh oh actually then i discovered punk after that so the thing is about punk and horror is that you know first it's like the ramones you know Mm -hmm. that's like i think that's everyone's most people's at least with our and our generation's entry-level punk band but then you get into like the more like hardcore punk stuff, which is like, you know, about the system and, you know, fucking, you know, the scene and, you know, whatever, like, like compassion and all this other stuff. But that's, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, you know, good for you. You like all you're into that. But <laughs> when I heard the cramps, I was like, yes, you know, they were talking about the green fuzz and all this like, you know, human flies mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And there was like, this, there was a campiness, but there was also this like very creepy vibe to their music. And I'm going to say that the Cramps actually were another band along with the Misfits and Sam Hain that fortified the whole horror, music, metal, punk sort of continuum. I agree 100%. I'm going to touch on two things. Number one. We all know what the cover of Sepultura's Beneath the Remains looks like if you're a fan of Sepultura. Mm-hmm. And what, of course, the cover of Obituary's Cause of Death looks like if you're a fan of Obituary. Did you know that Cause of that Beneath the Remains was supposed to have Cause of Death's album cover? I did not know that. Yes, that is a true story. That was the original first cover of Beneath the Remains, what you basically see as Cause of Death. Roadrunner, ultimately, I can't remember if it was Roadrunner ultimately or if it was Sepultura ultimately. It might have been the label that said, "You know what? This actually let's this actually is a way better cover for this Sepultura record." And it's that skull with the rose. I mean, that wonderful cover of Beneath the Remains that fit like a glove. Well, in another world, in another Earth, the cover is the Cause of Death cover, and the cover of Cause of Death is the skull with the rose. Isn't that crazy? That's fucking crazy, man. 
I so <laughs> it almost I, I can't I can't imagine that that it being any different than the way it is. Well, and somebody uh, this year I, I couldn't figure out how to get one um, made a shirt of cause of death with the of uh, I'm sorry of beneath the remains so sepultura beneath the remains but it's basically the cause of death cover <laughs> like you know the bootleg shirts and it actually looked kind of cool but it looks like I mean everyone who doesn't know the story would be like I don't get it it's it's wrong it's a mistake and it's like well it's a mistake that almost was you know um, honestly I think they made the good decision what about you I, I can't picture it either, the other way at all Okay, you want to hear a little bit of information about the artist? Uh-huh. You might recognize his name, Michael Whalen. Michael Whalen, yes, yes. Yeah, he's done a lot of stuff. With he it, did especially Beneath with, the Remains, yeah. Yeah, he also did yeah, Beneath the Remains. He's uh, out there in a lot of stuff. The Meatloaf, Bad Out of Hell. Right, yeah, yeah. He's, and he, I think he's done some books. and like, I think he's, yeah, he's a prolific guy, right? I, I don't know if you are, are into Michael Moorcock, but um, he did a lot of the Elric of uh, Mel Nibine, uh book covers, and um, oh, wow. yeah, Piers Anthony, like the and you know Anne McCaff McCaffrey's uh, Dragon Riders of Pern, like that kind of stuff. Damn. So, so he's a very prolific, uh, you know, painter and illustrator. And uh, and yeah, so that that's the guy's name. I, it was on tip of my tongue. I had to look it up. Oh, Michael! I'm sorry, Michael Whalen did the Cause of Death cover. That's what he did. Yeah, he did the Cause of Death. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And all those, and then you know, conversely, or along with along those lines, he did all those Lovecraft uh, '80s editions of mm -hmm. those collections. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I mean, if you go, if you like Google image search him, just ridiculous art, like fucking amazing. You know, um, and it's funny you say that about the cramps, much like my first foray into hearing the misfits, like if you're of a certain age, you found the misfits because Metallica wore their shirts nonstop. That's exactly um, how I found in, out about it. Right, in every photo. So since Metallica was so heavy and fast, I automatically assumed that's what the misfits sounded like. And then when I heard, my buddy bought Legacy Brutality the same day I bought Suicidal's first album. We we went to his house and he put some Misfits, and the first song we hear is the song Static Age, and we're looking at each other, going, "Wow, this is the band Metallica loves, huh? This doesn't sound very heavy." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the Cramps, if you just went by the cover of that that you know, what's the the uh, yellow and, and black cover with you know like the the Monster, bad, the bad music for bad people. Bad music for bad people. Again, you might think that might have a certain sound to it. And when we, we put that on, we were also very surprised. We were expecting like, I don't know what we were expecting. Slayer. I don't know what we were, you know, something heavy and crazy. And it was like, wow, man, this, this kind of sounds like old rock and roll. I was like, you know. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's funny. I, I wonder how many people have those stories, especially the Misfits story, and then we're like, no, I, I didn't like it, so I, I never got into the Misfits, but with me and my friends, it was like, oh no, we liked it, even though it was nothing like we thought it was going to sound like, you know? Exactly like you, I sought out the Misfits because of uh, Metallica. I was like, yeah. check out these like sick t-shirts these guys are wearing, and I love Metallica, and this has got to be like equally as fucking badass, you know what I mean? And 
that's the thing. When I, I got Leg Legacy Brutality was the first one I got because I had a great re record cover, you know. Yeah, cover. And, uh, and um, I was like, I had two thoughts on the matter. Number one, oh, this is punk. This isn't metal, right? This is like a different thing. And then the other thing, though, was when I first started getting into punk in high school, like I was really into bands like X and, you know, the Gun Club and stuff like that. Okay. And also the cramps. Like this these girls mm. I knew, these there was like three punk rock girls that we were we were all like punks together. And <laughs> they were uh, one of them I ended up dating and she was all into stuff like that. That's how I discovered the cramps, okay? Mm. And, and X. So when I heard the misfits, it was like, Yeah, it's it's rock and roll, it's punk, and it's similar to that, except their lyrics are about like horror stuff you know what i mean like yeah. night of the living mm -hmm. dead 20 eyes you know skulls like the lyrics and skulls are pretty it's pretty brutal actually you know mm. yeah i mean glenn danzig was i mean wasn't and still is obviously horror obsessed now he's directing his own horror movies yeah. um and um, lyrically yeah i mean that that was his trip you know, for the majority of, of Misfits songs for a while. I mean, there's certain ones that you can tie, like you can make a list of the movies that the songs tie to. And it's just so cool. I mean, not, not a lot of punk bands were doing that. I, I believe you say they were the first punk band to do that, thus creating the subgenre horror punk, which has tons of bands in it, you know, a varying quality, um, you know, um, but you know, unbeknownst to him, he created a genre within a genre, you know? Totally. I mean, they definitely were. And, and, you know, like I said, like earlier, like most punk rock music's like, you know, political or, you know, smashing the state or, you know, like we hate cops, you know, that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. This was decidingly not that, yeah. you know? You know it was they, talk about what we know and what we love. We love horror movies. Yeah, okay? and they look like these kind of punk rock, like vampire zombie guys with makeup and all that stuff, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Danzig wasn't a city kid initially. He was a suburban kid. He he moved to Manhattan at one point, uh, actually. Um, but you know, his that he wrote about what he knew, and that's what he knew. You know, that they say that's what you're supposed to write. Write what you know. <laughs> you know, and uh, it obviously worked out good for him. And then Sam Hain, which is my favorite of Danzig's bands, actually is mm -hmm. is. Uh, the same, like the lyrical content shifted a little bit. Still, yeah. you know, like the, the song The Shift, right? It's about turning into a werewolf. Yeah, dark, but not about horror movies, about dark subject matter, Sam. Exactly. And that's, you know, The Howl, the howl uh, you know, The Shift, like those songs, To Walk the Night, you know, all those songs were like not mm -hmm. overtly about the campier elements of horror films that went deeper into like the subtext of horror films, I think. Yes. Or about the occult actually. The, or yeah, the occult. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I thought that's what, again, made Sam Hain so special. And uh, you, you don't see a lot of that while you see a lot of, you know, horror punk bands, misfits bands, you don't see a lot of Sam Hain bands, right? I don't think we do. No, I mean, you know, you can say that, 
you know, maybe like, uh, was it 45 grave or something like that? You know, maybe mm -hmm. a little bit similar to San. I would maybe say they were similar in some ways, right. mm -hmm. you know, but not really though, you know, or, or, you know, Christian death maybe or something like that. Yeah. Those TSOL, been, you know, uh, well, that's almost like contemporaries. I mean, you know, you don't see a lot of new bands treading those waters. Oh, new I think bands, new bands. Those waters because you're instantly compared to Sam Ain. And, you know, I think it, it might be a little hard. It's, it's hard to be original when you have that, like, that watershed fucking band hanging over your head, you know? Yeah. Like, like horror, it, it must be hard to be a very good horror punk band because all everyone's going to compare you to is the Misfits. It must be hard to be a Sam Haney band because, well, there's Sam Haney. You know, <laughs> well, there, there's that band Son of Sam, which I think London May actually was in. Yeah, yeah that had guys from Sam. Yep. Mm -hmm. yeah. That was really cool with Davey Havoc from AFI. That was actually very cool. Yeah, uh, I, I enjoyed that, that actually. I thought that they did that. it very well. That was fucking great. You know, was it, was it, was it, short it wasn't Todd, uh, Todd Youth in that band too? Yes, at one point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Very cool shit. Um, you know. Other bands kind of again they, they they touch those waters like newer integrity, um, you know bands that definitely are somewhat influenced by it. Absolutely, some of the the newer tombs material, Michael, huh? is uh, influenced by Sam Hain as well. Might not be Sam Hain ripoffy, but it's inspired by. Well, I, I would say that uh, that's a huge influence on a lot of our music. I mean, there are some more overtly yeah. Sam Hain songs on their last LP. But uh, actually, you know, breaking news, uh, <laughs> we're coming into the Halloween season, so there will be a Tombs track that's going to drop on Halloween weekend, and it's going to be a cover of The Shift by Sam Hain. Oh, nice. Very nice. Yeah, there's going to be a video and all, like a visualizer video for it, and uh, it'll be out there. So anyone who enjoys that kind of stuff, uh, keep your eyes open. Uh, Shift is a great song. Very cool. Yeah. And you know, I love Werewolves, so. Oh, totally. Yes. Werewolf song. <laughs> you know what? One of my favorite Sam Hain songs. Which one? A song that one could argue is a Danzig song, uh, Death in Its Arms from Final Descent. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because he recorded it with John Christ and Chuck Biscuit. It's yeah. like, that was kind of, it was recorded when Danzig was a functioning band. And it was decided. Glenn had decided that those 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 newer songs on Final Descent, like Final Descent, is half old and half new. Like the new stuff is basically Danzig, but not Danzig. It's kind of weird. Like I think he he felt that they fit. No, these are these are Sandman songs, you know. But they're very much early Danzigy vibe, right? Oh yeah, totally, man. I I, I, I have to listen to that song again. That song's awesome. Oh yeah, very cool, very cool song. Uh, it's almost like a cousin to like she rides in a way, you know, uh, with like the like the beat and like the slowness of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that that's kind of like the transition. Like when I think of um, Sam Hain and Danzig, I think of like Danzig is way more blues oriented. Mm, you know, yes. it's like a bluesier like kind of vibe to it. And Sam Hain is like basically death rock. And death punk or whatever yeah it's 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 like the bluesy kind of biker metal like yeah. the first big album and you know uh sam hain is that mid 80s 
goth rock is kind of this new thing. You know what I'm saying? It was like this a new sound for a new era, a post-Misfits punk rock era, you know? It, it's a perfect kind of transition, you could say. Yeah, and it was still, like, super aggressive, where, like, some of the kind of, like, like goth rock stuff wasn't aggressive and punk. Right. Sam Hain had all of the same, like, sort of concepts there, but were, were within a punk format, you know? Yeah, yeah, it had, it had the aggression. A lot of the songs had the aggression. Uh, maybe not all, but a lot of them did. But, I mean, again, which could lead us into the, the, the Danzig horror connection. I mean, the first Danzig record comes out in 1988. I'm in the midst of kind of a very thrash period for, you know, for the heavier side of music. Like, thrash is very popular in 1988. Um, and death metal is just getting, just getting it. It's just getting off the ground as far as, like, uh, out of the underground. You know, death metal has been around a few years at that point. But by 88, you have Death's Leprosy. And, you know, by in early, you know, in 89, you have obituaries, uh, slowly rot. 89, you have Morbid Angels, Alders of Madness. But already Morbid Angels have been kicking around for several years, and the underground have made several demos. It's like all these bands who drop their first or second albums in the late 80s, early 90s as death metal were already several years in the underground, which is kind of cool. Also, a band we have to mention, if we're going to talk about the connection of horror and metal, is necrophagia yes uh again another band um, amidst a very thrash year 1987 they dropped their first record and it's fucking early it's death metal it's not a thrash metal record it's a death metal record and it comes out before death metal is a thing um they are a definite pioneer band in american death metal uh sadly killjoy uh the singer passed away a few years ago he was a horror fanatic times a million. Uh, that guy was lived for horror. And uh, you could tell in their lyrics, a lot of their records and his subsequent projects were all horror-based. Um, you know, super into it. A, a band that gets slept on, Mike. Don't you agree? Yeah, definitely. And the thing is about Necrophagia is they definitely have their hardcore fans out there. Cause uh, you mm -hmm. know, like we, we did a couple of dates with them out West and there are definitely fans. Like there are hardcore Necrophagia mm -hmm. fans for sure out there, mm -hmm. you know? And um, also there, I, I see that band as like three distinct eras. You know, there's like the eighties era, which is like proto death metal. And to me, it sounds a little bit like schizophrenia that, um, you know, the hmm. Sepultura record, you know, yes. kind of in that and that's vein. when they're taking off their death and getting into the thrash, right. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And uh and then there's that mid period with Phil Anselmo involved. Yep, yep. Where it's like super raw and like yeah, yeah. almost like uh there's like these like swampy like I hate God parts in the songs. Mm -hmm. And then there's like the later kind of mid tempo uh you know, six feet under vibe that they had. Dude, I got to see a show, uh, one of the bands he did with Dan Milker and the Autopsy guys, The Ravenous. Ah, okay. They played CBs. At, at, wow, dude. I saw them at CBGBs. That was so cool. Uh, the Ravenous had a few releases uh, out there. Um, it was, yeah, it was a really cool project with uh, Lilker, uh, some of the Autopsy guys, and fucking Killjoy. Definitely check that out. And I think we definitely need to mention Autopsy. Um, very horror, 
horror-ish death metal band, in my opinion. Um, I'll never forget when I bought um, the uh, Fiend for Blood cassette in the summer of 92. And, uh, this, you know, again, I'm super, super into horror. And, like, that is a real dark EP, uh, lyrically. <laughs> oh, yeah. Fuck yeah, man. Uh, Dead Hole. And it's just, like, it's the whole EP is like a, it's like a serial killer death metal. Honestly, it's just like dark, but it's got Steve DiGiorgio on bass and he is a motherfucker. He's from uh Satis. He played on death's human. I mean, he's, he's been around the block and he plays with his fingers and he plays like fucking like the Steve Harris of death metal. Yeah. So you have really interesting bass playing on that EP and just these real nasty rips and nasty lyrics uh, yeah, the Autopsy Fiend for Blood EP is, is like death metal horror heaven for me. I love it. <laughs> Just one quick thing about Necrophagia is they have, um, they have that, uh, that, that DVD, uh, Through the Eyes of the Dead, mm -hmm. which is uh, on one of our favorite guys, Jim Van Bever produced videos. That's right. Yes. I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. Shit. Yeah, that's, that's a must-have. If, even if you're just a horror fan and not a Necrophagia fan, because it's like... Van Beber made these awesome fucking movies, basically, to all these mm -hmm. tracks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't you can't forget about him. I mean, look, he's not a metalhead, really. He's not, but he has this connection to the metal scene with his his fucking movies. You know, uh, a, a, a lot of people in the death metal, black metal world like him as a director and, and get and appreciate the spirit of his films and the violence and the craziness. You know, you don't think Van Beber likes metal? Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't, he, to me, he, I guess he does, but I don't know. He, I don't think he's like Mr. Death Metal, a black metal guy. I mean, I think he likes probably certain projects because these were his friends or things that, you know, right. came his way. Um, I don't know. I could be wrong. Listeners, I could be wrong, yeah. but he, I don't know. Like I, I, I've seen him at cons and I, I, I met him once and he just, you know, I don't know. Maybe like, Seems like a like an old rocker guy than more of like a, a full blown metalhead guy. He's me. probably uh, into like like UFO and stuff like that, maybe. Or like or like maybe skin like just diff like different, you know, like maybe Skinnered or maybe like you know, that kind of stuff. ZZ Top. That's the vibe I get. I could be wrong. I could I be dead wrong. I feel yeah. you. I feel you on that. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the Van Bender movies definitely have that that spirit <laughs> i have another little story growing up of you know my horror story it was around christmas time and i, I think it was christmas of 85 by the time silent night deadly night had been released on home video um <laughs> and my friends and i rented it and it, we went through like it was kind of hard for us to rent because we were pretty fucking young, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, definitely. Um, I think we had to get one of our parents to rent it. And and uh, my friend's mom didn't even want us to watch it. We were like, oh, please, you know, <laughs> let us watch it. And and we, were, we watched it in my friend's grandmother's apartment, right? And it was, it fucked me up. Like, I mean, I, I liked it. I mean, I wasn't like afraid or anything, but... Seeing that movie back then with me and like my young metalhead friends, like I just will always remember that seeing it for the first time because it has some pretty graphic scenes in it. And I think when you were watching it back then as a kid, 
it packed quite a punch. Hundred <laughs> percent, man. You know that was definitely disturbing because, as especially as a kid, like you love fucking Christmas and Santa Claus yeah, and shit. Santa, you know? Christmas and you know watching the Rankin Bass animation and. Now it's like, okay, we've got something else for you to watch. <laughs> you know you know what's really funny, which is very ironic? Like when you look back and you watch those old, you know, Silent Night, Deadly Night films, like they're 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 young, they're they're children's nightmares, basically. Mm. Yet yeah. we all know that kids watch them, yet they were not able to actually rent them. You know what I mean? Right. There's like a weird irony to that, you know? See, that's that's a sad thing that's kind of gone, you know, uh, like many things that are gone. The whole culture of, like, the youth finding a horror movie when they're not even supposed to be watching a horror movie. <laughs> like, does that even exist? Like, the other, the other day I saw this clip online of a girl who was, like, five, okay, running to her dad when she got off a school bus who was dressed head to toe michael myers gear and she ran up to him and 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 hugged him and kissed him because a lot of kids are not in the slightest bit afraid of michael myers freddie jason etc they are now cuddly creatures michael hmm. well you know i mean it's kind of inevitable because they all the toys and tie-ins and all this other stuff and they kind of mm -hmm. declawed uh, Freddy Krueger by this third film. You know? <laughs> True, but it's funny to see now. Like, I mean, it, that shit was uh, for our era. That was they were they were scary guys. I mean, you know, there was nothing cuddly about them. Um, but I think, you know, I guess it. We weren't scared of Dracula, probably by a certain age, the same as these kids are no longer scared of michael myers by a certain age does that make sense yeah i wasn't scared of dracula but i was afraid of vampires though for sure uh -huh. okay the vampires okay. that i was afraid of in salem's lot man when i was a kid when i watched the uh the still what the the, the tv miniseries to this day I, I i back that it stands up to this day yes i watched it this year yeah the one with david soul i love it yeah good shit, man and you know, barlow and the other vampires scared the shit out of me that little kid outside the window fucking terrifying you know the new one is coming the remake is coming so yeah you know i don't who, do you know who's making it who's directing it oh i'd have to look that up but i it might even be like underway um the thing is you know you always reserve judgment um but you know let's see cast announced for salem's lot remake Rob Lowe is Ben Mears. Samantha Mathis is Susan Morton. Rutger Hauer is Kurt Barlow. Oh, Rutger wow. Wait, isn't Rutger Hauer dead? I, so, I was just going to say that he passed away. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. All right, okay, now maybe that's like an old one. Okay, cast announced Salem's Lot, Nerdist, as of three days ago. Got to read this, listeners. We have Dr. Cody, Ben, oh, Bill Pullman is in it. Okay, all right. No, Lewis Pullman. I'm sorry. Okay, um, Bill Pullman would be cool, though. Okay. Lewis Pullman. Lewis Pullman from Bad Times at the El Royale will play the story's lead, Ben Mears. Uh, Deadline has also reported that Mackenzie Lee, Bill Camp, Spencer Tree Clark will also star alongside Lewis Pullman. 
Lewis Pullman will play Mears, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the Annabelle Comes Home director, Gary Dauberman, will be coming oh. big screen, big screen adaptation of Salem's Lot. This is as of September 27th. So brand new. So it's going to be a movie, not a, you know, streaming service. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, guess, uh, I, uh, I guess we'll hold on to it and see what happens. I, uh, the, I, I got low expectations, man, honestly. You know, <laughs> I really do. You know. Oh, what I read a moment ago, listeners, was the TNT miniseries from 2004. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Google. Uh, I've never seen that, have you? No, I didn't even know that around. existed, man. I didn't know that existed either. So, yeah. Rob wow. Lowe, that's interesting. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's terrible. <laughs> but that, that original one from the 80s or whatever, late 70s, remember the hell it aired, yeah. was fucking amazing, man. And that scared the shit out of me and vampires to this day. I mean, the evolving, I guess that's the thing. Maybe Michael Myers is not scary, but fucking Art the Clown is scary. Oh, yeah. You know? uh, speaking of Art the Clown, um, it is looking like uh, a, a January, February 2022 release date will be coming down the pike for Terrifier 2. I think the world needs Terrifier 2 right about now. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Like everyone's like gets so upset about everything and that movie's going to upset a lot of people. Yeah. Um, the One of the producers, uh, who's an old friend of mine, Steve Barton, was on the Break the Apocalypse podcast last week. Very good interview. You should check it out. Talks quite a bit about what's going on with the movie. And uh, he, he said something interesting about um, the movie is that uh, there are no extra scenes in Terrifier Part 1. Like, nothing was cut out. And that is the intent of this this one. There, there will be no cuts. The, yeah. the movie, the original movie was put out, like, as is, with, like, no MPAA authority, with no one saying, take this out, like, it was as is. And you could kind of tell. I mean, it's it's fucking bonkers. It's a fucking vicious movie, man. Right. The new one will be in that same exact spirit. There is no one telling them what to do with this movie. Like, there's, there is no studio telling them what to do. They're presenting finished film, a finished film for distribution, which, you know, they say they're very close to having. Um, so, yeah, isn't that cool? I mean, what's to stop anyone from doing that these days, really? I mean, you know, it's like, you know, that's, it's not, if, so what if it doesn't go into a movie theater? You know what I mean? I would say that's what Danzig did for right. his movie and probably his new movie, uh, which I haven't seen yet, uh, the, the the Vampire Spaghetti Western movie yet. I, I want to see it. Uh, it did go to theaters for a little bit, which was nice. Um, I'm not sure what its next move is. It might be Shudder. But I believe that's what he did. He he, it, it's his money made that movie, you know. So that's uh, it's not available to like uh, you know, rent or anything like that. Say off of like you know, not iTunes. Yet. Okay, not yet. No, it's uh, it had an actual theatrical run. The new Danzig uh, film. Can, can you order the Blu-ray of it? That's coming down the pike too. That's not yet. Yeah, I, I yet. have Erotica on Blu-ray, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I decided not to buy it. I mean, saw it in the theater. That was good enough for me, you know. 
I it was it was fun to see in a theater with nothing but Danzig fans, which is what I saw it in. Um, he actually was there signing stuff uh, when the movie ended, and it was really cool. And I got one of three photos uh, of, that I have with me and him. Um, and uh, yeah, let's just say he's a better musician. Uh, <laughs> that is all I will say. I love you, Glenn Danzig, but I hope the new one is better than Erotica. I I remember getting it and I knew it was going to be terrible, but I didn't give a fuck. And I'm going to order this new one too, man. I, don't care. <laughs> I just want to have it on my fucking shelf, so yeah. we, people yeah. can be like, "You like what, what? What's this over here?" And just be like, "Yeah, I, I'm into this. This is cool. I like this." <laughs> you know, like it just defiantly have it in my collection. You know, it's the spirit of the movie, which which is important, and it's got spirit. Yeah, you know, and um, we'll see. You know, I mean, I, mean, I hope I hope it is better than Veronica because that was really unwatchable, man. <laughs> it's kind of a, a new midnight movie in a way, like a you know what I'm saying, like a new you know, a new terrible but fun movie. <laughs> that was not his intention, but hey, sometimes happy accidents happen. It was not his intention, but. Yeah, I mean, I would say our uh, some of our our tales are we're not alone, and I, I think uh, listeners all have their own kind of story when it comes to how they found horror in conjunction with uh, with heavy music, you know, or whether they found one first and then the other, or at, at the same time in the same month of their life, you know. Um, it's it's just interesting. We we. we you know, came of age of it at, at some point in the eighties. And I think we were fortunate enough to have the, the, the video store era, uh, go hand in hand with, you know, the, the explosion uh, of the extreme metal era, you know? You know, and just, just, uh, to add some other flavors to this, man, like when I was in high school, nobody really liked the shit that I liked at all. You know what I mean? Mm. It was like, mm-hmm. I, even though I was into punk rock music, I still liked heavy metal, you know, and that was kind of a no-no back in the eighties, you know. Right. It's like you had to, you had to do only one or the other. Correct. Yes. You know? mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of my friends when I was like fifteen, sixteen, seventeen were like diehard Dead Kennedys, Black Flag, you know, that whole thing, suicidal circle jerks. And I was like, you know, I, I, I've always loved Black Flag, but like I was still listening to Sabbath. I was still listening to Dio. I still like Judas Priest. So I was like, a, you know, Slayer, Metallica were coming coming out. And the horror thing, I was totally on my own about that shit, man. No one, mm. I was literally, when I was growing up, no one else I knew besides my mom liked horror. Mm. Isn't, that, isn't that funny? That is funny. Me and John, my brother John, were very into horror at the same time, which was cool. Um, and uh, my friend Saab from Marauder, he was very into horror and, and hardcore and metal at the same time. And my buddy John Zito. I had some friends that liked both. My old girlfriend back in the day when I was you know, late high school, early college, she also liked horror movies and, and this music like I did. Um, so my, you know... Connections. I definitely had some people that were into it, but it's funny you say that about the music thing. Um, you couldn't really be this big melting pot back in the day. You're kind of right, 
Um, I quietly actually enjoyed Guns N' Roses while I was going to see Sick of It All at CBGB's, and that was a no-no. <laughs> you know, like yeah. that was a no-no. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't until later on, by the early '90s, that it was probably acceptable, quote unquote, to just like whatever the fuck you wanted to like and still kind of be a part of a scene or two. You know, but uh, <laughs> yeah, there was definitely there were things that would definitely get you some looks back in the day. You yeah, because even even though by the 87, 88, there was like a big crossover thing happening, but it was like crossover thrash, not cr- crossover cock rock, you know? No, and it was not crossover goth, and it was not crossover new wave. Um, it was, yeah, your choice was thrash metal and hardcore. Thank you. That's all you got, you know? Or crossover. <laughs> crossover <laughs> metal thrash. Metal. Right. Your hardcore band crossing over to metal. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> but it, it's it's funny like and, and then years later that term became known as as metalcore and not crossover and now people have fights all day long on social media as to the difference between metalcore and crossover when in reality it is literally the same exact idea so it's kind of funny <laughs> well we got to also mention a couple other guys here i got um, we have to mention Alice Cooper for being a, uh, you know, a, a, an agent of this whole horror, shock, metal, rock thing. And also, yeah. Alice Cooper was in uh, Prince of Darkness by John, uh, by, uh, John Carpenter. That is right. Um, yeah, Alice is definitely a, a, an early progenitor. You could even say... The imagery of Gene Simmons and Kiss, Mike. How about that? Absolutely, Im- man. He was a demon. He was a de- like you know. Th- there's a definite connection there, right? One hundred percent. You know, like it, it's just so many different ways you could go. You know, um, another another great one. Who's that guy who sang? What's that song? Fire. Oh, um, yeah. I the God of Hellfire. From yeah. uh, that fish singer. Oh my God, the name is escaping me. Um, and if you want to go OG, Screaming Jay Hawkins in 1956 would he's, come out of a coffin on stage. And he's putting spells on people too, you know? Yes. Yeah. He would wear makeup and come out of a coffin in 1950 fucking six. Imagine the shock of, of the white people. Going to see him in '56 when rock and roll has literally just begun, and you have that happening. So, yes, Alice Cooper gets his accolades, but the the ground zero person is literally Screaming Jay Hawkins, and Alice Cooper loved Screaming Jay Hawkins. So there you go. Yeah, white people probably lost their mind back then. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean anybody in the audience was like, would be like, what the fuck is this? He's literally birthing, like, shock rock and, like, black metal in 1956, in a way. You know? Like the bla- like a black metal aesthetic. Unbelievable. Now, iron- ironically, point. since we mention him every single episode, we definitely mm-hmm. have to tip our hat to uh, Mr. Robert Zombie. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Um, for, you know, in the 90s, him and Marilyn Manson, 100%. Oh, and Arthur Brown, 1970, ah, you know, that's it. late 60s, early 70s, fire. He's another dude who came out of makeup early on in the game. 
you know, we're clicking off all the boxes here, folks. We can't forget these people. These are important people. And, and I, I think the, the line of connection with uh, music and horror, uh, at least visually, that's a great song, Fire. I love that song. It totally is, man. And uh, let's, let's also shout out Kirk Hammett for uh, not only being sick on guitar, but he's a huge horror guy. He's like a huge collection of, uh, yeah. of OG movie posters, and he does uh, a festival sometimes. He had like a yeah, festival going on. Even Agnostic Front got to play his con. It was fucking amazing. Yeah. Um, he also has a book, uh, horror, Too Much Horror Business, Yep, about yeah. uh, his horror love and all that. And uh, another, uh, you know, you mentioned him earlier, Phil Anselmo. He's done horror cons. He's done the music horror con combo. Um, another guy whose horror collection is probably astounding, I would say, Phil Anselmo, right? If I had that Kirk Hammett money, I, I, I would definitely have some sort of curated artwork collection or something like that of all horror artwork. That's, that's a cool yeah. thing. Hammett's might even be better than, than Anselmo's because he has more money. <laughs> probably, yeah, probably. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, shit. You know, wow. Now, we're um, going to draw the line, though, because if you, depending on where you're coming from, what angle you're coming from, we're going to draw the line with all these new metal cats and horror, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not going to talk about Slipknot, well, Corey Taylor. Slipknot, look, man, Slipknot, I, I, there are people... Uh, you and I know that actually will give them their props, and I'll give. I, I respect Slipknot. I'm not a fan of Slipknot. I don't listen to Slipknot, but I, I respect them, um, and I give them their props for their success. Uh, they definitely have a, a a horror-ish angle that I will. Okay, no. Well, Corey Taylor is, is a fan, and he shows up on all these documentaries like that that yeah, came out, like yeah. In Search of Darkness one and two. You'll see him. Oh yeah, no. Giving his opinions. He's a guy that I would like to just get a beer with or something. I don't like his music that much. I don't like his music, but he's like he seems like a decent guy. I'm gonna say something about Slipknot that I've said before, and uh, I'm you know I got enough confidence in myself to say this that I I, I don't mind them, man. You know, mm. I mean, I don't own any of their records, and I mm-hmm. don't really have never fully listened to a record all the way through, but. There's uh there's stuff on there that I think is pretty good. If there's a new metal band to to put on, it's probably them, you know? Um yeah, I would say that, you know. And and, and I will say I dabble in uh I would say that first corn record and I would say that's that second system of a down record, toxicity. I enjoyed both of those. I'll say. It. I don't listen to them, but if they're on, I'm enjoying it. You know, I, it's, yeah. it's not my bag 100 percent. But as a musician, you have to appreciate when you hear certain riffs and like, oh, shit, this is actually quite good. You know, it's funny. I've told this story before, I think, on Everything Went Black, where we were on tour um, and we had a driver and he was like, you know, great guy. Awesome dude. He was like just one of those like crew styled people, you know, who like. Probably 70% of the music he listens to are records he got from bands he toured with and shit like that. Okay. <laughs> you, know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he's been around a lot of, you know, backline guy, like tech, you know. But on yeah. this tour, we couldn't afford any of that shit. So we just, he was a driver. So mm. um, I, he was talk, trying to sell me on Slipknot. 
And I was like, I don't know, man. I don't fuck around with that shit, you know. And I, I, I always sat in the front seat with him and when he drove. And we were listening to uh, Exodus. Like at that time, Exodus had some new new material out. So we're like, oh, cool, new Exodus, right on. And then he just put another something else on, right? And I'm like, what's this, man? He started laughing. He's like, huh. It's like, this is the second Slipknot record. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> it was fucking pretty fucking good man it was like some um heavy there was some like really technical parts it was like blast beats it was all that stuff man and, you know and it's like they're, they're a good band dude honestly i i don't yeah. go in for the whole get-ups and everything but like you cannot fuck with them really you know no um i gotta say you mentioned stephen king look it goes without saying stephen king with the metal horror connection um there's someone else that needs to be mentioned. Brian Keane. I knew Brian you were Keane, say that. a lifelong metalhead, likes hardcore, likes metal, thrash metal, mentions bands in his books, and just as it turns out, in his new novel, Suburban Gothic, guess who he mentions? Anthrax. Sick of it all. Oh. So I, I yeah. haven't read it yet. I, I yeah, guess I because... It's in the pile. I know it's in the pile. Yeah. But I found this out today, and I just wanted to want to throw it out there on the show today, because Lou, uh, sick of it all, was super excited about that. And That's he, fucking he made great, man. It. That's really cool. Yeah, he made a post about it, and uh, he was he's thrilled. So that's really cool. Yeah, Brian Keane, huge metalhead. Um, a lot of his the characters and his stories will mention metal bands, or you know. Uh, things like that, or there'll be certain music playing in the background that he'll mention, and Slayer, or Anthrax, Hatebreed. Uh, and yeah, he's mentioned Sickerville. I don't even think that's the first time Sickerville has been mentioned, and I think it might be the second time he's mentioned in one of his books. So that's actually pretty cool. I, I know that Lou is a fan of Brian Keene, so that, that's really cool for him that he got mentioned in there. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, I'll, I'll take your Brian Keene. And I'll raise you a uh, an Adam Neville as a yes Adam Neville for yes for black metal yes one hundred percent yeah dude he's all about just dark shit dark metal <laughs> you know like black metal he has like a lot of references in his in his um you know story in the ritual specifically the book version mm -hmm. the, the novel the definitive version and I've I've emailed with him before trying to get him to come on everything went black. And so far, yeah, you know, it's not really working out. But someday, maybe I'll, you know, meet that guy or interview him or something. But he's a fan of all extreme music. So that's cool. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's fucking awesome, man. I mean, look, you know, we, we didn't want to talk about the typical movies, you know, rock and roll nightmare or all, all like those Halloween kind of heavy metal horror movies. That's kind of been dumped to death and talked about to death tonight we just kind of want to talk about um our own experiences and and our own thoughts and feelings and maybe even give you guys some knowledge that you might not have known or maybe you did know or whatever um and come at it from a bit more of you know i guess uh, the death metal and punk side of things as opposed to like the cornball heavy metal side of things right mike exactly and also, it's just like for a 100th episode, like what what fucking movie could we really pick? You know, what I mean, just go. Oh, we're going to do an episode no. on like Candyman or something like that. You know, no, it's I, like. I mean, it, it's good to have it's good to have an episode of Necromaniacs that does not talk about a movie from time to time. And I think, uh, you know, it, it may happen again. But tonight was a, a special occasion. Hell yeah! 
Yes, indeed. Um, this was a lot of fun, Mr. Hill. Likewise, man. I had a great time. Yeah. You know, nice uh, weeknight, you know, here. In, uh, yeah, yeah. We're like, almost in October. Yes, sir. And that's uh, my favorite time of year. We're entering into the Halloween season. And um, it feels like it's starting to get like Halloween, man. It's been nice and cool out. And, you know, breaking out my leather jacket and getting ready to like yeah. get the whole thing together. Yeah, I'm still wearing shorts. I'm wearing shorts right now. It, it's not. It's still kind of warm. Um, but, you know, I'm usually not the October shorts guy, so I guess we'll see how that works. <laughs> Actually, I'm wearing shorts too right now, but I'm, yeah, I'm, in, I'm, in, the ha- I'm in the house. Cold. So, yeah, I mean. Not that cold. And with our weather, shit, it could be 85 degrees in, in a week. So it, with the way things are, you never know. This is true. That is true. It's been wacky in, uh, in the old northeast. But uh, again, thank you all so much for the support, all the episodes. You know, everything's available. If you want to take that deep dive, I, which I think you should, uh, go for it. And of course, you should be listening to us uh, every week on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Podbean or wherever you get your podcast goodness from. And do not forget to subscribe and do not forget to tell one of your buddies to listen to us. You know, maybe, maybe uh, as the weeks go by, we'll, I'll, re- I'll repost some of those old episodes on our Facebook page or something, you know, some notable ones. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or again, I, I enjoyed all, there's at least three Halloween, uh, uh, three or four Halloween-ish episodes. Uh, so those are cool to check out. There's a couple of Christmas episodes and, you know, uh, different types of shit. Like I said, there's like winter horrors. There's all, all sorts of stuff, Me, you know, demon stuff. Of course, we did our, you know, summer horrors week. We did our devil horrors month. Uh, you know, we like to mix it up. Well, thanks for listening, everyone, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. That's right. We'll see you all next week. Take care, everybody. Take care.